everyone, welcome to Heart's Happiness Podcast. The place where I, Manpreet, share my journey of healing intergenerational family trauma to help you to understand your story. I share a bunch of tools and tips that will transform your mental health and allow you to find your own heart's happiness. So exciting, right? Each episode will cover one of three areas. One, raising awareness of what this trauma actually is and how it hides in our lives. Two, tools, tips, support, lots of different things that I've used to get better and heal from this trauma. And three, I'll be connecting you with so many specialists and therapists and coaches as guests on my show. So we are going to transform your mental health and empower you to take your healing by the hands and move forward. Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm so excited for today's episode as we have three very famous dads who have been raising lots of awareness about suicide prevention, talking about their girls who sadly took their own lives and they are making a real change and doing lots of walking and so I will introduce you to Tim, Mike and Andy in a moment who share their stories about their beautiful girls Beth, Emily and Sophie and um, it was such a pleasure to speak to them and hear about the amazing work they're doing whilst processing their own complicated grief. It was just um, really inspiring to to hear and um, so you will hear that in a second. And I also talk a lot uh, on the podcast about my own journey with my mental health and how dark I was because when I first found um the three dad story i really connected to to their girl story about taking their life because that's how i sort of lived most of my life with these very constant suicidal thoughts which i wasn't acting on but they were certainly there and i didn't feel worth it and i didn't think i could feel better and it took me a long long time up until like 35 for me to start to change that and that is actually what i teach people to do in my eight-week course i take them through um i guess the journey that i went on to understand why i felt that way and how i could change it and how it's possible to change our feelings and to feel differently and to regulate our emotions and that's what my eight-week course is helping people with so now it's launching on the 23rd of june on across the world so no longer a time limit so you can watch the videos and do the homeworks anytime anywhere without me and then join the Q&A sessions that will be at different times to suit different time zones okay so now we are going to move on to meet the lovely dads I'm so excited today to have some three very special dads sharing their stories about their lovely girls and I came only came across them very recently and I was just so proud of the work that you're all doing to raise awareness about two topics close to my heart suicide prevention mental health and especially around young people because I'm I'm old now (laughs) 40 but I did struggle with my mental health pretty much my whole life and it's only in the last five years I've actually got a lot better so just the things that you're talking about if I had seen that when I was 15 16 like it would have it would have changed my life I reckon so thank you so much so did you each want to introduce yourselves and your girls to everybody go on then uh I'm Andy uh I'm Sophie's dad uh I live up in Cumbria uh, Sophie was uh, 29 when she took her own life. She was a nurse up in uh, Edinburgh. Um, was going through a bit of a traumatic time. She'd, she'd split up with her husband. 
Um, but we didn't see it coming. Um, you know, she was um, upset, worried, but her suicide came out of the blue because she was such a lovely lass. You know, she was bright, bubbly, loud, very loud a lot of the time and just a great person to be around. Um, and so it, it uh, knocked her sideways when uh, she killed herself in December 2018. And that launched us into this weird place that we seem to have be existing in at the moment. But it's, it kind of helps just telling the stories and making a bit of a difference with it all, doesn't it? Like Always. a little bit, like a little bit of a soothing thing. That's what I find whenever I share my story Always. about my dad. Yeah. yeah. Like, so their life and their story just carries on for as long exactly. as we can. Thank you so much, Andy. Who's next? Yeah, I'm Tim. So I'm Emily's dad. If we kind of roll the clock forward 14 months, Emily died in March 2020. Uh, took her own life then. Uh, so Em was 19 when she died. We live in West Norfolk. Em had grown up with some, uh, we thought there were mental health problems all, you know, from a very young age, uh, kind of always below the radar of everyone. We tried to seek help, didn't really work. Uh, and then uh, after a series of struggles, one of our friends said, have you asked for Em or to be assessed for autism? And we had her assessed when she was 15 for autism and she had an Autistic, autistic diagnosis, high-functioning autism uh, with a demand avoidance tendencies. I went, that was an absolute game-changer for M. and where she'd been struggling to go to school and struggling with her life, she now, because she got this diagnosis, she understood how to, started to understand how to deal with it, and we then understood how to deal with it. So kind of, she got through school, got her GCSEs, went to college, uh, got an art uh, qualification, got an apprenticeship as a fitness trainer to finish that. And she was working in our pub when the pandemic came. And all of those coping mechanisms that Emma had had for uh, coping with her autism, primarily working, which gave her the money to in the pub. She loved, she was the life and soul of the party, uh, which then gave her the money to drive a little car around West Norfolk. And it also gave her the freedom to go to the gym. All those three things at the very start of the pandemic uh, it, it was the week before the Prime Minister announced lockdown and we started to have a, a few symptoms of COVID in the house. We went into lockdown. Emily couldn't cope and literally just stormed out of the house and took, took her own life. Uh, we were obviously devastated as and is, well, everyone's devastated, aren't they, by, by suicide. Uh, but but the but in the context of the COVID as well, the normal kind of rituals you have after a, someone's death, the funerals, uh, we had six people at a funeral. There was no wake. The street, in, the streets around the village were absolutely lined with people. But all those kind of coping mechanisms, if you like, were were gone. And after we had her twenty-five minute funeral with six of her, six of uh, us there, we got back home at ten thirty in the morning. And I remember wife clear as day saying, "That's it, Tim. No one will remember Emily in a, in a year's time." And that kind of sowed a seed. And so that's kind of our, our story from from West Norfolk. Thanks so much, Tim. And Mike? Bethy was uh, just 17 when she, when she took her own life, um, about five, six days after um, Tim's Emily. Um, we didn't see it coming. We didn't know she was struggling, but hindsight allows us to look back and to realise that we probably missed a lot of the signs. But like Tim with Emily, we, we very much think that um, we lost Beth in the first week of lockdown, 
And I think she lost some of her coping mechanisms going out, her gig. She was a very talented singer. She was trained to be a vocal artist, um, going out with her friends, um, all things that I think that she really lived for and she felt that basically she'd lost. Um, everyone who knew Beth, you know, loved her to bits and they were absolutely shocked or beyond shocked when she took her own life because so many people say she was the last person you'd ever expect to take their own lives. It uh, plunged myself and my family into the, um, the dark, grey world of complex grief. Um, if you read up on grief, it was, it was everything. Anger, anguish, pain, and basically I wanted to die myself. I wanted to be... Because of Beth, it sent me to, uh, I suppose, the, the edge of suicide myself. Um, there was only, I think it was nine people at the funeral as well. The streets were lined. There was, you know, lined with people. We'd, we'd put the word out that could everyone clap when she went past like her last clap. And they did. Literally the three miles or so to the crematorium people were clapping line the streets absolutely phenomenal but she was um yeah she was that kind of person uh, but but to lose her is just um it's still so surreal but um but with Andy and Tim we have found definitely some purpose and some point to go on and we really feel as though we we can make a difference. We won't catch everyone, but we do believe in what we do. Yeah, definitely. I think sharing stories and um, even just hearing about, you know, like you just talking about your complex grief. I didn't even know that was a thing when I was going through it, when I lost my dad. Like, you know, I just was like, what's wrong with me? And the same, I, I had lots of like suicidal thoughts. I started thinking about everybody dying and it was all very weird. And it wasn't like, I went for a grief counselling, but that was it's just so much more complicated than that. And just hearing other people's stories at different parts of their journey, like Tim, um, you know, with Emily and her story of struggling with maybe her diagnosis and her system that she had. But through this work that I've been doing, I've met people that have got autistic children and they're just like, you know how they struggle and that we just don't have that information out there for so many for you know those that are going through a breakup or you know that goes through changes we just don't talk about it so even talking about it makes such a difference and how did you three find each other and start sharing your stories with each other because that must have been a great support so i'll start on this bit so the it was about... you don't need the the run for sophie bit in oh you? yeah sorry run for sophie yeah yeah do that <laughs> because i kind of entered this strange world of um, suicide awareness, suicide prevention, a little before, so it was 2018 that Soph died. Um, and we decided very early on, very within, well, the day that Soph's body was found, actually, we decided we had to do something positive. We didn't know what it was. And we had a look around for a charity to support at a funeral and a friend that pointed us at Papyrus, uh, prevention of young suicide and it was through them that we learned that suicide is the biggest killer of, of young people under, under the age of 35 which was a bit of a shock um, and you kind of thought well we've got to do something um, and Soph had actually been trained to run a half marathon <clears throat> and her mate Laura was still going to run so I thought well I better go and keep her company 
and went to enter the marathon, but it was full, or the half marathon, it was full. And so I contacted the organisers and they uh, allowed me to run on Soph's um, entry, which I thought was quite an interesting human interest story. So I started, started doing a load of uh, training videos under a run for Sophie hashtag. And I'd set up a just giving page and raised several thousand pounds. Uh, and it became quite a big thing um, in that, in the certainly in the north, northern area, appearing on radio and TV and in the press. And off the back of that, um, I've kind of got my teeth into papyrus and uh, I was helping them through that. Uh, so I'd become kind of known in up in the north. You're like a little st- celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> social yeah, media superstar. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, social media respect was, was brilliant at communicating. So I'd kind of got down that route mm. before these two uh, joined this horrible club. <laughs> So I guess the next thing is, you know, we, we clearly hadn't heard of Papyrus and how things might have been different if we had, but uh, it was about uh, three weeks, uh, four weeks after uh, Emma died, so about three weeks after Beth had died, and uh, my eldest daughter saw something on social media about this family in Manchester who had a beautiful young daughter, Beth, who had taken her own life. And Annabelle, my, my eldest, uh, through the magic of social media, reached out into Mike's family, unbeknown to me. And Annabelle came to me about a month after, it was like exactly a month after M died, and said, uh, Dad, 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 I found someone in Manchester. I'm speaking to a man in Manchester. <laughs> You're doing what? <laughs> Annabelle, what are you doing? And she's a bright girl. And it's like, no, 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 they're in the family in exactly the same position as us. You know, they've just lost their 17-year-old daughter you might want to reach out to them. So Annabelle had spoke to Mike and uh, agreed, and Mike and I texted each other, and we we spoke the following day. And so I was dead on a month after Emma died. And uh, instantly I was talking to somebody that totally understood me, but also was a peer. He was going through everything, you know, at the same time as me. And we just kind of connected instantly and decided, right, that's it. We will, uh, we, 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 we will, at whatever time of day or night it is, if we need to support each other, we will. And we started to talk regularly. But then there was another little uh, thing that happened about three or four weeks later was uh, I found a note uh, that Emma had left. The police had overlooked it. And that was really important to how we kind of all got together because Mike and I are now two kind of peers, if you like, exactly at the same time. But M's note was a very articulate note, basically saying how sorry and how she couldn't cope. But there were two sentences in there that were really, really important. One was, don't be ashamed. Well, we'd never been ashamed. We'd never taken our own life. We'd admitted you know, to our friends on social media, M's tried to take her own life, then she died a few days. So everyone knew exactly what's happened. And then the second thing that was really powerful was she said, if people can learn from what I've done, then let, let them you know, do something with it. And I told Mike about this. I read the note out to Mike and we just mulled on it, didn't we, really, Mike? And then kind of over to you, really, chat. Yes, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, myself and Tim started talking as if we'd, bizarrely, as if we'd always known each other. And uh, as I say, Tim was a massive support to me. When, when we lost Beth to suicide, I was surrounded by people who obviously love me, who friends and whatever, who wanted to support me, but they just didn't almost get it. 
they weren't in the same place. As a father, they just weren't in the same place. Tim was. Tim, Tim was in that place. You know, so it, it was so important to me to keep going, to be able to talk to Tim about everything that I felt I was going through because it's desperate time, desperate mm-hmm. time. Really? But as time, times went on, I started to um, realise that I needed to know, I needed to understand a bit more about why Beth had done this terrible thing, why she'd taken her own life. So I started, um, I was introduced to um, the charity Papyrus Prevention of Young Suicide, and I started doing courses with them on suicide intervention and suicide awareness. And I started to hear about this uh, this um, this guy, this this celebrity from uh, from, <laughs> from the lakes. You know, he. Um, I heard his story. He'd lost Sophie, uh, as I say, I think about fourteen months or so before we lost um, for a lost Beth. And I knew he was doing a lot of um, fundraising and awareness through his runs for Sophie and his um, his regular sort of um, YouTube clips talking about how he feels and and everything that happens. And they're absolutely brilliant. So so I continued doing the courses, every, everything I could do. And uh, I went to uh, one of the Papyrus Champions courses, people who were going to go out in the community and... Um, raise awareness and I actually bumped into um, Gregor and his son at one of these and myself and Tim had been sort of talking about a few things about maybe going for a walk you know because we, we live so far away from Sale to Sheldon in Norfolk it's you know it, it's a long way but the more I learned the more I realized that this was it was I mean obviously it's an international problem but a, a massive national problem massive, you know yeah. it, it isn't one area so the thought of walking from one house to another, I thought that would raise the awareness of that. But then obviously Andy. And I thought, oh, I wonder if he'd be interested. So I asked Gregor, eventually ended up talking to Andy and we went for a walk. And uh, obviously there's a story here about I'm I'm not a great map reader. Watch these two <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, we learned yeah, that. Yeah. We learned <laughs> that. Yeah, shaking their heads. But I am... Um, I sort of drawn a rough route on a, an old 2010 AA road atlas, you know, from... <laughs> Forget Google. From, yeah, well, that's <laughs> it. From Moreland to Sale in Manchester and out towards uh, Sheldon in Norfolk. And I showed Andy that. And he laughed. <laughs> he laughed quite a lot, actually. I did laugh a lot, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> quite but, rightly. Yeah, but but, but I, sh- I showed him this idea and straight away he said, yes. And then obviously went back to Tim and all of a sudden, you know, I'd sort of put this on the table, but these two absolutely just grabbed it and, and ran with it. You know, but within, I think it was about a week of us talking, first of all, at about 18 sort of, you know, maps, coming through the door you know it's absolutely incredible but uh but yeah but the foot's never come off the accelerator since then but that's mm-hmm. basically got, how we met i've got i've got to say with with um mike's planning route planning 
no apps were touched in the making of his planning. <laughs> there's like so many different apps you can use for this type of thing now, you know. There's a lot of technology out there. Are there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we don't encourage him. What, what are they then? I didn't are even they? know A to Z's even like still existed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't A to Z? It was like a road atlas, one of those big, big map things, but I'd drawn some straight lines on it and yeah. things. Yeah, and... It, when, when you're doing these this walking, it's not a straight line, is it? Unless you're... <laughs> Actually, the, the only time we got on a straight line, it did our heads in, didn't it? On that railway. Yeah, did your head in. <laughs> and your feet. <laughs> so uh, how did that all work then? So you did you all meet in one place and then walk to the other together and so just chatted along the way, stopped along the way, met people along the way? Well, Mike, Mike's idea was to link up our homes to show that it was a national problem mm-hmm. um, and to indicate it could happen to families anywhere in the country. Yeah. Mm. So that was what, the way he threw it at me. It was like, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. And so the idea was to walk from our house. So we're up in Cumbria near Penrith, just outside the Lake District, to Mike's house in Manchester and then across the country to, to Norfolk. Um, and I just thought I did I actually thought it was brilliant. What a great, great idea to show such a lot of different things. Um, and so we we kind of got our heads together and just started talking about routes through my contacts with the Ordnance Survey. We got, as Mike said, we got a load of maps arrived at our houses and we just started plowing through it until we actually got a line that joined our houses. Um, and that was it, really. Yeah, we had a quick Zoom meeting, didn't we? Kind of end of April. That was mm. the first time we met for the first time last year, uh, so 2021. And then uh, we, we all got together at Mike's house a couple of months later, beginning of July. And the plan was, well, it was hatched straight away in April, properly hatched. And then we got together. It was almost complete by the, the time we got to Mike's house. Uh, and it, it, the snowball just started from there. I don't know if you want to talk about the kind of the media bit, Andy, from how we kind of got that. Yeah, it was the, a friend of mine works for the BBC, Alison Freeman, who actually was on national TV yesterday, wasn't she? You, you saw yeah. her on. She was yeah. covering the Jubilee uh, stuff. Jubilee stuff, yeah. And so I've, I've known Alison for 12 or 13 years. And I've always got on with her. And after we lost Sophie, she helped in our part of the world to to spread the word of what I was doing, and so that after that meeting, the first time we met at Mike's house, one of the last things I said to these two was, "I've got a, a tame BBC reporter uh, who I trust. Uh, would you be happy if I reached out to her and told her what we were thinking of doing?" And uh, so they were, they trusted me that I trusted Alison. Um, and so I contacted Alison the next day and her response was, blooming it, I can get this on BBC Breakfast, is what she said to me. <laughs> and uh, and so she's, it was funny, she, she's been a, a, an integral part of what we've done and she's, she's rattled cages within the BBC and got them to understand what we've been trying to do. And the, the upshot of that was, um, we ended up being invited to the the BBC breakfast, which Mike Mike got there first, didn't you, Mike? In yeah. September. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it, absolutely nerve wracking. It really was. But 
I mean, I hate the sound of my own voice. I don't even like to look at myself. Unfortunately, my camera's working today, isn't it? <laughs> but, um, yeah. But, Should be used to it by now. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I You're know. like celebrities, but, you three. So. Yeah, well, it, 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 it went very well, apparently. The feedback mm, I got was absolutely definitely. tremendous. But it, it showed to me that mental health issues... Poor, poor mental health, suicide affect more people than you ever, ever suspect. Yeah. And often mm. you don't find this out until it happens to you. Yeah, it happens exactly. To you. Exactly. Definitely. So, but uh, but it was it was almost as if all the planning and everything that went. It was almost as if everything just slotted into place. I mean, a lot of it's hard work. These two and and whatever they. Yeah, they're relentless. If I haven't got an email or a message by eight <laughs> o'clock in the morning, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. But, you need um, to start opening a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, they, they go into me spam. I don't see them. Yeah, but um, but yeah, but it's as if it was meant to happen. Yeah, it all slotted into place. It really did. It was, it, Incredible after that first, we, we were up to about say £8,000 on our Just Giving page and then Mike went onto the sofa. And by the time we come off the sofa, we've gone up by over 40, another £40,000. Wow, that's incredible. So even before we started walking, we had that. And then just before we started walking, we had that donation from Daniel Craig, which was direct to the charity. It was just incredible. So I think before we started walking, we were up to something like 60,000 or 58,000 or something. That is so like, amazing. Wow. We, we I knew. thought I did well with my 3,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my marathon. You did. But you did. That's <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just <laughs> really target. Just, so we got this, this kind of line of three dads, three homes, 300 miles. So we thought, i just giving target nice to do 3,000 pounds each. And that is yeah. genuinely what we thought. If we can do 3,000 pounds each, 9,000 between the, two, the three of us. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? I would hope, mm. you know, see what we can go. So we were just overwhelmed by mm. the money that rolled in even before we started walking. Yeah, that is incredible. And it's just, how needed is it? How needed is this conversation? How many, like, I, I mean, we haven't even got to the walk and who you met along the way and <laughs> all the people that told you their stories, right? So, I mean, even so, this, this September, it'll be two years since I started this podcast and I get messages all the time that thank you for sharing your story about losing your dad and my own mental health struggles because I've just been keeping it all a secret and I kept it a secret, so I totally understand because there's just, like, there's so much shame. We hide it under the carpet, but we all have a story ourselves, our families, but we don't talk about it. But we'll talk about other stupid things, you know, like the TV or something or the news or the weather. But, you know, not talk about real things that are really causing our struggle. And when we talk about it, we feel more connected and we realise how human it is. Pain is part of our human experience. Yeah. yeah it's very yeah. difficult, though, though, isn't it? It's, it's this... It, the way we've been brought up and the way we've been trained is is really hard to talk about these really challenging subjects mm. uh, and certainly as 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 men as blokes you're definitely not trained to do that you you, you know the the that stiff upper lip and um you know man up pull yourself together kind of attitude mm. which which certainly um, blokes of our era is exactly what we've we've come through um, but we've all found that by being open with 
um, our experience and uh, open with our grief and our um, emotions, it well, it lightens the load at this end for certain. Yeah, but also you can see how other people react to you is just it's quite uplifting, really. Mm. Uh, it's so powerful, no, it is. and it's healing yeah. in, in itself, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. To be Absolutely. able to do that, and 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 for your girls, and that's how they're still going to do their thing long after exactly. they've gone, exactly. which is amazing. It gives other people as well, and we'll talk about the walk in a bit, but it definitely gives other other people the green light to come and speak to us about their experiences. Mm. that's what we found on the walk was so powerful people every single day and we'll talk about those in a minute but people every single day just coming up to us and talking to us and walking and talking and sharing theirs and sometimes for the first time years and years and years yeah. so I think uh, and we every day not every day every week I should say we're getting messages either from the charity or directing to us about thanks for opening up you've done x y and z for us and we never ever thought by, just by us three being three blokes, just talking about our experiences that we would be in this place now. Mm. And what's so amazing is that you all started doing this so early in your own journey of grief. Like I was in a dark room with the door shut, like crying into my pillow, but you were actually, you know, that the fact you're going out for a walk and getting air, that's, which is really good for you and your body and your mental health, connecting with each other. Like I know you did it for your girls and to raise awareness, but it actually the things that you're doing was supporting your own mental health in a way, which I was not doing when I yeah, was getting that, drunk and like staying in my room. So that's what yeah, I was doing. Yeah, but, but that, that, <laughs> that, is, that is exactly right. If we're honest, we did it for ourselves as well. Because mm. I think we're very, you know, really knowing Andy and Tim like I do and myself, we're very proactive. Mm. And this is one reason why we wanted a, a, a charity that um, it wasn't it was to prevent suicide. So we mm. felt as though we, we had a real point. And mm. it's absolutely no doubt it, it, it has helped me massively having mm. that point, you know, to, to, to drive forward and, and something to work. work yeah, it's to. given you a purpose, right? We're, we're, we're not counsellors. We're not qualified to talk to people. We just have the life experience. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it is such a hard subject to cover suicide mm -hmm. as well. It's mm. hidden in shame, you know, it, it, there's the stigma aspect of it as well. But mm. we, we did feel as though people, we didn't have time to think about our own grief for, for the walk, really, because we were talking to others. And yeah. in some ways, it was uplifting. Mm. It's amazing. I wish I'd come, well, I don't live near any of those points. So I, don't know, I didn't know about it then. Um I don't know how you even walk that many miles without, like, you know, doing any training. Did you do any training before or just walk around We're the park? athletes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, athletes, that's us. <laughs> well, Andy's a marathon runner, so he can keep on. Yeah, very, very slow. Very, <laughs> yeah, very so was me. I got it the slowest time. Hodder, <laughs> yeah. No, it just felt like the right thing to do. And we, we, yeah. we'd all done a bit of training. Andy's, Andy's up in hills all the time. I'm obviously living in Norfolk, and there's not many hills in Norfolk, so training for hills was a bit of a, a, bit of a drama for me. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, we just went out and walked. And it's very hard to train for that, because the only way of training for walking over 20 miles a day is to walk over 20 miles a day. So you just kind of got to make sure you can do it once and, and hope, really. And that's <laughs> kind, of, kind, of, kind of what we did. We were very well prepared in terms of the, some of the kit we got. We had so many generous people organizations 
give us some awesome kit that uh, I can believe the support we had from from individuals, small businesses up to you know international businesses. So the kit we got was was good, uh, and so we were prepared as as we could be. But I th- think the thing we weren't prepared for, weren't expecting, as we've alluded to, is the number of people that stopped us from. You know the lady that joined us straight out at the start who'd lost her. She was uh, Susan. She was in a well into her seventies who'd lost yeah. her forty-year-old, forty-something-year-old daughter. Yeah. Mm. To the, the I don't know, within five hundred meters of the start, a, a, an old couple came out. Who want to tell that story, Mike, about Angela? Yeah, yeah. They probably won't like the old bit, Tim. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Oh, we're but, old uh, as well, so that's cool. I know, I know. No, uh, not far from the start. It's a couple of miles. There was a couple by the side of the road with a dog. Uh, the lady had a T-shirt on with a basically a photograph of a, a beautiful blonde woman. Um, when we walked, I could see when I walked past, we caught her eye. She wanted to talk and she just walked forward and she had in her hand an order of service. Her daughter was, um, I think she was 29 or early 30s. Amy, her name was, and um, she'd lost her just weeks before Amy was a young mum she left two young kids mm, a husband and yeah it was just it was so but she'd come to see us mm. you know and that's that set the tone of the walk yeah you know it was powerful but she came she came to us and I said can I carry the order of service so in the end oh. I carried it all the way Oh, and I wow. have returned it to her now, and I do talk to her, to to her now on occasion. But what we didn't realise during the walk as well, further on, we met a, a guy basically in a, a little Mazda sports car, and he told he was telling me about his daughter-in-law who'd taken her life. Didn't know at the time, but it was the same Amy. And then when we walked a little further, wow. a place called Kirby Lonsdale. A guy stopped us as we were just going onto some fields and he had two little kids with him. Oh, wow. And we didn't realise at the time again that that was her husband. Oh, wow. With with her kids. Mm. You know, and I found this out afterwards when I returned the order of service. But, yeah, massively powerful. Yeah. You know, hugely powerful. To think that people like that were coming to us because we they thought we were doing something. Yeah, and that Humbling. you would understand their story, that you feel what they feel, yeah. Yeah. and that you understand what they're carrying. Like this, they're so it's just so powerful. Like um, as I mentioned, my dad took his life in 2008, my mum's mum in 1995. Um, certainly in 1995, nobody spoke about anything. Her siblings still don't talk about it properly. Um, and 2008, you know, I just, I didn't even know where to go to talk to people. Like loads of these things came up a lot later, but I didn't know who I could talk to about my story and how much how shameful I felt, how guilty I felt, because there was lots of signs. My dad hadn't been right his whole life, and I, but I wasn't like professionally in no. mental health. Or I didn't know, understand anything. But all I know is that when he left, the struggles I had with my own mental health just amplified. And But I didn't know what to do with that. So I just shoved it down and like yeah. drank and did silly things to try to cope and and I couldn't and just hearing like even your stories it just 
it's it's just so he- healing to know that other people experience the same things as us they experience that horrible shock when you get that horrible phone call from the police you know and you have to go to court and all these things that you don't have to experience which when I was going through it I was like nobody knows about these things you guys talk about being in the paper for such a positive thing I don't know if if this still happens with a suicide but they in the in 2008 they had to publish that that's the way he died like and that was the only way that I saw him in the paper so the things that you guys are doing and and the way that you're reaching and touching people's lives all over the country is just so amazing because it makes us all feel like we're less alone mm. it's just yeah sorry mate the, the stigma is so important to try and smash there's a, a lady we met her husband sorry, her husband, her brother, when we were walking near in Sale in Manchester. And he told us, I, I know, you know my sister, Tim. My dad died by suicide. Oh, like, blimey. We, and I knew the sister, and the sister hadn't spoken to us about what had gone on. It transpired that the, the, the dad had died in 1953, 70 wow. years ago, whatever, 68 years ago. And she, she was only three. She didn't know about it until she was in her, she, she knew about 10 years later that he'd died, but then about 30 years later, how he had died, he'd taken his own life. Now, this was a dude that came back from the Second World War and he got PTSD probably and took his mm. own life. You know, bless him. But the first person that they'd op- or she'd opened up to was us, or the first people 70 years later, because we had just been so open. And mm. it was kind and it was so powerful, and she, that was a, that was an extreme. But so many times we had people join us who hadn't spoken to anyone else for the last mm. six or eight years or whatever, yeah. and then because we'd been open, they opened up, and it was they'd be at the side of the road, they'd be waiting for us, and we'd say, "Hello, do you want to join us for a walk?" And they'd tell us, <laughs> and, and then it'd be, "Why do you want to join us for a walk?" And then they'd tell us, and you know they we would often be in tears in that initial you know telling describing their loved one and what had happened and stuff and what happened to them subsequently people teachers had to give up teaching just blown people's lives apart it, it's yeah. Like, yeah. it does yeah. it, it but, is but but by the end uh, walking with them we were normally in laughter with them because yeah. the burden yeah. they're just it just released they've been able to share their you know really intimate stuff about what had happened in their life and they got it off their chest. And then it was like, we, we can have a laugh now. We can, you know, we're all on the same level. Yeah. And so for us, that was so, you know, oh, so satisfying to know we were helping other people like that. Yeah, we we, we, we did laugh on the way. We usually at each other. But we, <laughs> but we got to remember, we didn't know that each other very well before we started. Yes. You know, and, <laughs> it's a uh, long time to spend together. I mean, it could have gone really wrong, couldn't it? <laughs> Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you're still didn't. talking clearly. So yeah, it, it, it absolutely could. It absolutely could, but 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 no, it didn't. But you're talking there as well about people who've been affected by suicide, and you know we're walking for prevention, but also you're talking about postvention here. Mm. It's almost as important because you're more likely to take your own life if you've yes. been affected by suicide. Definitely. So. You know, talking about it is the first stage of dealing with your grief and putting into action, you know, postvention measures. It, mm. it is so important. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, me and my brother have both struggled a lot with our yeah. mental health, and I was probably quite similar to to your, some of you, to your stories and your girls in the fact that um, I had a big smile on my face. I was like putting on a great act. Um, I no one, absolutely no one knew how much I was struggling for a long, long time, even when I was a young girl. Um, and I genuinely felt like there was something wrong with me. And then my dad doing it just made it more of a real option. But I also how knew how, how much it was going to hurt my whole family. So that's pretty much what stopped me doing it. But I didn't really want to live. It wasn't something I wanted to do. And I would have missed out on so much amazing stuff. Like I've got married now and I've, you know, I'm moving on with my life finally. Um, it took me a while. Um, but, you know, it just, it was so hard because it just, it, it's like I froze for like a decade or something. How old were you when you lost your dad? Um, so I was 26. 26. Wow. Um, and I was like 13 when I lost my grandma so I remember that really clearly and and yeah and then just the effect that had on my mum and I think I really wanted to be okay when he went and I just wanted to be okay and I think I was pretending to be okay and I didn't really have anything to put it into um but I wasn't okay and then it just started to show up in my own life yeah it's so important what you're saying here though because some of the most extraordinary stories are people who talk about wanting to take their own lives and yeah. basically all they've got in front of them is that dark cloud yeah but people who talk about they've got through it they've yeah. survived it or they they've got through it and yeah. their lives now are better definitely and and this is this is part of the hope isn't it this is part for sure of such I an mean, important word things do change yeah and, and it does every get suicide's better. different whether it's mental health or temporary problems you know that they're all different but sometimes we do believe there is that hope to give people second third and fourth chances yeah uh, definitely I and that's why I started this podcast and and now I used to work for the BBC as well and then I've left to just help people to be able to um, know how to get themselves out of that dark crowd. Because for me, you know, mine stuff comes from childhood and it's it's deep. So I, but I thought that that wasn't possible for me to get overcome. I didn't think it was possible. But, you know, actually I've learned how to take care of myself. I learned how to, I still have a day when I can go back there, but I'm like, oh, I've gone back there. Okay, so that means I need to go back to my self-care practices. Do I need to contact a, like a professional I'll pay for help no matter what now or you know I, I've got all my things in place that can help me to pull me out but I, I know that feeling um when you just don't feel like you can get I lived in the black cloud for like a really long time and clients and people I meet are like is it possible and I'm like yeah it is it's just we were never taught the skills of how to do it at yeah. school I wasn't taught about my parents because they didn't know how either so it's just that and and I'm guessing working with such an amazing charity, you're hearing more and more about how we can get out of that dark, like that dark cloud. That, that was the bit that hit us and it hits so many people that we walk with that if any of us before we lost our daughters had known about papyrus, we could have told the, the daughters about their kind of hope line, which is their kind of emergency line to call, or we could have called the line and said, oh, I've got a daughter and I think, you know, she might be thinking of taking her life. And it wasn't just us that didn't know this help existed. It was so many people that we met. And that just made it, you know, more worthwhile. You know, 
the whole reason for us walking, as, as the other two have already said, was to raise suicide prevention awareness. We've raised lots of money, and that's lovely, and the charity needs money to survive. But if we can tell people out there, there are pe- people, everyone has ups and downs, but in today's society of social media tastic, oh yeah. people aren't portrayed as having ups and downs. People are always on this brilliant, having this brilliant lifestyle. But all of us have ups and downs, and some people have bigger ups and bigger downs than others. And just like you said, those downs aren't permanent, you know. And we all, all of us, have said, if our girls had, you know, taken an, a, a couple of minutes, taken a breath for a couple of minutes, and just gone, "Hang on, what am I doing?" Then maybe, just maybe, at least one of them would be be here. And that's what we you know we're pleading with people because. Those decisions, that those split-second decisions people make, mm. devastation afterwards not only goes on, you know, family and friends at the moment, but my youngest daughter is going to have to live with the fact that her daughter, uh, sorry, her sister died for the next kind of 70 years or whatever. Yeah, so it's generational. Oh, horrendous. Like it's so, yeah, <laughs> generational. I mean, like my mum's mum that took her life, I, without a doubt, because in India they don't really talk about these things, but I'm pretty sure her dad might have done the same. She never talked about it in my entire life. I knew her. And it's just little stories I hear now. And that is a generational thing that's been passed through, like on my mum's side. And my dad's dad was an alcoholic, um, again, struggling with these things, getting passed through the line. So that's the thing, that's what, and that's a lot of what I speak about is that, you know, because we're not talking about it, because we're hiding all of our dark secrets in the closet, we're not even telling our children about it. We're not, you know, we're just not educating ourselves. And then, you know, and then when we struggle, we think it's something to do with us. Like I thought, I, I thought something was wrong with me. Like I felt like, you know, and I felt so much shame that I wasn't as happy as everybody else I went to school with. That I didn't realize that actually, no, it's it's not that. And it's probably what I'd seen growing up. And there was a lot of reasons for why I felt the way I felt. I was carrying a lot, but I didn't realize that. And I remember asking someone at school, like a teacher, and she wasn't qualified either to, to give me the right advice. Thankfully, I didn't do anything at that point. But, you know, I, I thought about it because... Yeah. It was it was hard. Well, the, the thing that struck um, us on on that walk was that every day we spoke to loads of people, loads and loads and loads, and lots of suicide bereaved parents. And invariably, um, the conversation kind they, they told us about their the children and the what had happened in the running to the suicide, which were all different, Di- you know, different the different stories and and different stresses and strains. But then the vast majority of, of the, those parents said they didn't see it coming. They didn't. They weren't worried about their children in terms of uh, threats of suicide because nobody had talked about it. But then it was only after that their child had killed themselves that they then found out that suicide is the biggest killer of, of young people in the UK. And they went, well, why did nobody tell us? You know, you're going back to your education. It was like, well... Surely, if if the most dangerous thing in our young people's lives are themselves, we should kind of warn them. And maybe if we equip them with some yes. knowledge, they might have a chance of saving themselves. But if we don't talk about it, they've got no chance. Mm. And I think by about day seven or eight in the walk, we got ourselves, I certainly got myself quite wild up. <laughs> you heard it again, it's like, bloody hell, you know. Why are we not doing anything about it? Yeah, it's got to so, be done in schools, for yeah. sure. So we got ourselves quite wound up by yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah go, on, go on Tim no sorry no no we still are wound up yeah. 
We still are wound. Yes, 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 we are. <laughs> we are. We are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what we believe. We believe, you know, you start equipping our young people in primary schools, age appropriate, then build it up through secondary school, and then on into higher education, you know, put it on the PSHE. It, it is mentioned, but make it far more robust. Because as um, Andy just said there, over 200 school kids a year take their own lives. The yeah. biggest killer of under 35s in, in the UK. Yeah, it's madness. Yeah. What, what if this happened at one place one time? There'd yeah. Uproar. But it no. is, it, it's hidden. And mm. attempted suicides as well. We haven't got figures for that. But I, I reckon that figure is absolutely huge. Yeah, it is massive for sure. And And like... So since I've started doing the podcast and started to help people, I've been doing my training to help people to know how to get themselves out of that dark cloud. And I've come across modalities like special breathing, like that's in America that helps people that have got PTSD, all sorts of stuff, just from breathing and just from tapping and all these amazing things, which now I do all the time, like a crazy person. Um, but like, I'm like, why is no one... No one is, te- why, is, why don't we teach someone that at school, yeah, that perfect yeah, breath yeah, work, yeah. that when you're like feeling really overwhelmed, just do this. Or, you know, and when they're really young, they can get that programmed in their mind exactly. and then they'll be able to do that so easily. Like I have to do it, like train to do it as a four-year-old. It's, it's, I'm, I'm getting there. But sometimes I still go back into my old thing because it's so wired. But that's how powerful just the sm- small bits of education could just be life-changing for that. And, and like you've all said, I, I, when I grew up, you know, the internet was just starting. So I wasn't in this social media craze, but I cannot understand the pressure that young people are under having that, like without having that as a pressure and, you know, and looking at their screens all the time and not, you know, interacting yeah. with humans. <laughs> like it's a bit much. It, it, it's 24-7. You know, mm. to, to remove a phone off a teenager is, is like it is the end of well, the end of the world to them in many ways. Mm. But they they have this twenty four seven coming at them, and it's just one of those things that goes into the bucket, you know, the stress bucket, and um, sadly sometimes it overflows. Yeah. Well, some of them are using the social media to sort of like to numb themselves out, you know, to not yeah. feel. Yeah, like TV absolutely. and computer games and all yeah. these things, like that that's what they're encouraged to do. And that's the opposite of what they actually need to regulate their systems, which is hard. Bless them. Do you want to talk about your letter, Andy, to how, how we... Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be a natural place, isn't it? Off yeah. the back of... Um, it was Finishing the walk was really quite weird. Um, you know, that last day where we only walked nine miles on the last day, didn't we? Yes, yeah. we felt like we'd hardly got out of bed by the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's just just nine miles, nothing much. Well, yeah. we, we, we had to do it by half nine, didn't we? Yeah, so the BBC <laughs> cover our finish. Yeah, so oh, it was yes. a bit of a shock. So we did start we, quite early. The early start yeah. was a shock. Yeah, we actually got to the pub at half nine in the morning, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, like was it open? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we, we, we crossed the crossed the line just after half nine, and yeah. it was it was it was quite clear that then. That we'd finished the walk, but what we were doing wasn't finished, you know, because of everything that we'd picked up along the way, and it, that feeling of 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 being a voice, um, not just for the three of us, but because of the stories we'd been told, it was we felt empowered really to go and do yeah. something else. Yeah. 
And because of the, the, the talks that we had, one of the first things that we did that week um, where we wrote to the government to say, um, to point out that uh, the most dangerous thing in our young people's eyes are themselves, why aren't we telling them? You know, we let's get this on, let's get suicide prevention on the PSHE curriculum. And we got a response, eventually got a response from the Department of Health and a response from the Department of Education. Department of Health um, was an invitation to go and see uh, Gillian Keegan, Minister of Health for Care, and um, uh, she's got suicide prevention on her brief. Um, and the, the Department of Education wrote this long letter that effectively justified how much money they spent on mental health within schools and the number of people, the 400 people that they'd taken on <laughs> recently to help. Uh, and he just thought, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And it, they also said that um, teachers were um, advised that when bringing up mental health uh, within PSHE, young people may bring up issues of uh, topics of self-harm and suicide. Mm-hmm. So they actually said, they were saying, don't talk about this, but be warned it might be brought up. And it's like, what are you oh. doing that for? Yeah, That's honestly. crazy. What a great it, it, way to shame everyone. Like, yeah. Honestly, it's a terrible, oh, it's just terrible, awful. terrible matter, which we, we keep thinking about publishing because it is so awful. But yeah, we, we why have, not? We have actually got an invitation to go and see the Department of Education in July. So that's just next month now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. so things move on. Um, and, and so we've actually managed to reach a place where we've got conversations happening within government. It, it will take... The government moves so slowly, mm. uh, but at least we've got some kind of a year, and we are talking to others as well that will help us along the way. Um, but it is one of those things that, that uh, the number of people we talked to that said that same thing, why is nobody talking about it? If, if this is the thing that kills most young people, surely we've got to tell them. And so we've kind of got our teeth into that as uh, a campaign going forward. We have got some access to... The relevant places within government so we're going to keep pushing mm. and there's been sorry as well as the government stuff we've been asked to talk at lots of academic uh university sorry universities i've had a, an approach from a local school around here i'm meeting the uh one of the head teachers because he wants to do it tomorrow so there's stuff going on so there's the teachers themselves are saying we need the sport while we walked my eldest daughter she had a people take their own life when uh, and it just brought home the absolute need for our kids to have some protection from this and as a society this is above politics this is as a society but across no, definitely the, we need to just have especially have now conversation especially oh, now after two years of them being in isolation not exactly. being with their friends yeah. having to clean their hands 24 7 there is going to be an impact of this for such a long time. It's not like a little government program. It's just really not going to cut it. I'm just like, just teach them how to do breath work. Teach them how yeah. to talk about their feelings. Teach them how to share oh, their I, stories. Yeah, yeah. Like, journal, you know, yeah. all those things. We owe it to our young people to be proactive on yes. this and not yeah. just reactive. Exactly. And, yeah. it's, and it's easier to... By helping them when they're younger, that problem doesn't get bigger and bigger like it did with me. And I'm like 35 and stuck in my life, you know, and other people that have gone to drugs or alcohol and all these things. Like if we get younger, we get them earlier down the line. It's like it's life changing for them. And so important. 
Yeah, I did a suicide bereavement course before I did the walk and it was with Mind, the charity, and they got some of the Samaritan statistics that, you know, were just horrendous. What we, six to six and a half thousand people in the UK die by suicide every year on, on average. And then as Mike, but all three of us learned, and you will have learned that when you go to the inquest, suddenly you find that your loved one who you know has taken their own lives might be found not to have died by suicide. They might be, you know, die by misadventure, uh, death by narrative, uh, unknown, you know. And so all of a sudden, that six to six and a half thousand people who recovered, it, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a load of other people underneath there that have taken their own lives that aren't recorded as a suicide on the national statistics. Mm. So if you amplify that across the country, there are so many people every year touched by suicide. Mm. And we're not talking about it. And we're not talking about it. And the, we're just, you know, I think we lose about 1,500 people in car crashes every year, you know, to road accidents. And that each one of those is a tragedy. But we're talking at least four times that amount, if not more, if you take mm. in those that aren't, aren't covered by uh, suicide. And it's going up all the time as well. So it goes up quite regularly. It will go up. Well, like since my dad's died, it's gone up loads in since 2008. Yeah, the, actually, yeah. The, the statistics in the run into the pandemic, rate, suicide rate rates were coming down mm-hmm. virtually everywhere, apart from in prisons and and the government were completely ignoring what was happening there. Um, uh, so, so they they had actually they'd come over a bit of a hump, but at the moment um, we still don't know what effect uh, the pandemic has had. Uh, we do know we've seen a huge spike in uh, young people reaching out to mental health for mental health help and not yeah. getting it uh, over the last eighteen months. Um, so, if if that's that's kind of the first part of a, a trend. You would think if if the the uh, appeals for mental health have gone up, and the um, amount of or lack of supports there, that uh, I hate to say it, but the outcome will be an increase in suicide. Um, also, so, like so, people, are, the, the help that's out there is charities. The charities are doing all the work, aren't they? And it's they're the ones that are trying to make the difference, and and that's the yeah. yeah. The, the the mental health services are, are overwhelmed. Mm. You know, it's no secret. They are absolutely overwhelmed. And certainly um, issues like COVID and um, even the war in Ukraine, it's a massive yeah. worry to people. Mm. Um, but I, the figures for during the... Well, we, we, we still got COVID with us, haven't we? But those will be a little different, I, I feel, because people will have had other people at home. They would have had you know, relatives, people who care for Mm. them at home. So it might actually go down slightly. But, yeah, it it, it could be just a bit of an anomaly there. But but we don't know the figures yet anyway. So, Mm. For example, um, you know, the coroner definitely said that the the COVID was the first, you know, the thing that filled up her stress bucket and caused her to take a life. And so COVID has had this, and the same for, for Beth as well. So COVID is definitely suicides during COVID. Even if they've stayed roughly level, there's probably a different group of people that have been affected by suicide that wouldn't have been affected if COVID wasn't there. There'd be other people, you know, some people have been felt more secure by because of COVID and other people have found it, it, it was that thing that filled their stress bucket up. So yeah, it's it, it, the statistics really, you know, the, Bottom line is there's too many people. There are too many, th- there's thousands of people dying by suicide every year. Mm-hmm. 
need to do something about it. And, you know, if, if you're losing six and a half thousand and it suddenly goes to, you know, 6,000, that's still 6,000 too many. And yeah, yeah, way, way, way too many. So. Well, one is, isn't it? I mean, it's so uh, preventable. I mean, it's, and like we've talked about, it's so life-changing for all of you guys have got families, you've got other children, <clears throat> it's affecting everyone. And it's yeah. affect like all of us for, you know, something that you just keep with you for forever. Like, I don't even, I don't, when I have a child, I don't even, I'm quite not even quite sure how to even explain that to someone, you know, and it's just, and that I think about stuff like that all the time because I'm just like, it's just, um, it, it's, yeah, it's it hard. Thing. Yeah, we, we the, during the walk, we had so many parents come up to us with young kids. And because we've been on the telly at breakfast time, telly, uh, you know, and been so open about it, because we've been open about it, allowed those parents to have a conversation with kids that they would never have had before. Yeah. And we were up in Keswick at the Mountain Festival a couple of weeks ago, and Pyrus had got a stall there. And it was incredible to see parents with young children going up to the stall and explaining to their young children, they just heard us speak or something, and they were then ex- explaining to the children about what this charity was there for. And these were young kids, these were kids under 10. Mm. And it was incredible to see that, you know, parents are being proactive rather than reactive, as we keep saying, being proactive in kind of, the kids are looking at this stuff in any case, you know, teenagers know about suicide. It's us as the adults that aren't talking about it. So let's get at their level, start talking about it, and I yeah. think yeah. it. it's exactly the same as it was in the 1970s with sex education. You know, in 1970s, there was no sex education, but everyone was still having sex. Let's talk about what's happening and let's educate us as a society. Yeah, definitely. And what's so? What's next for you guys in terms of where are you going next with this great following and all this awareness? You're going, you're going to change the world, change change the education system. Can change you tell law. we haven't finished? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, well, I would hope not. I would hope not. No, you can't we, finish, can you? I don't think I'll ever be finished with this either. No, so. well, you can't. It's, no. it's it's going to be there. This this is not going to go away. No. As you said, we are ones to one suicides too many. We'll never get to the point where it doesn't happen, but we know we can bring it down. Don't we, Mike? Absolutely, Andy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, we, you know, we, we've talked a lot after the after the first walk and we think it'd be wrong for us to stop. It sounds um, very noble, but we do believe we can make a difference. And we don't want other families to go through what, what we're going through. And Andy's right, we can't catch everyone. But I do believe we can make a difference. And this is what we're talking about, sort of getting it into, um, you know, schools and colleges and anywhere. It's so important. It's so important. So what's next? Should we we tell her, chaps? Yeah, as long as she promises not to spread it too loudly. (laughs) It's only on my podcast, but yeah. Yeah. How how many people listen to it? That's the thing. Oh, yeah. The numbers are are going up, actually. And I've got a lot of international listeners now as well talking Mm -hmm. about mental health. So you'll be be world-renowned soon, you know. Okay, okay. So so who's going to spill the beans? Go on, you can. Andy? No, no, go on. No, no. Okay, we... We're three dads walking, so what do we do? We're not going to run, are we? We're not going to. We're not going to sail. So, so we're going to walk again. Oh, amazing! Um, we we do believe it's going to be a lot longer. It's going to be over a month, and basically, we're taking the capitals of the UK in. 
Oh. Uh, all the details are going to be announced soon. Um, so it's starting to build on the website. Oh, amazing. So it's, not, it's not official. So this is just a little taster. Oh, lovely. But, uh, I'll yeah. definitely come see you guys. I don't, well, I'm in Kent now, so I where, don't know if you'll be... Where do you live? I oh, used to live in London, house. but I've moved to Kent now. Yeah, <laughs> I used to stay your house. Yeah, of course, yeah. I've got loads of space. Um, yeah, you're more than welcome. If you're coming to Kent, for sure. But yeah, I used to live in London, but I've moved now. So I'm sure you'll be in London, for sure. Oh, oh that's yeah, so yeah. exciting. And yeah, um, be- yeah, and I will be telling lots of people about you as well. And to, yeah. um, I hear lots you. of stories. Yeah, no, yeah, we, for sure. Gonna link, we're going to link up the Parliament of the UK in, in one big walk, effectively. Oh, that's amazing. Um, that'll, that'll be in the audience. Get their right? attention. Oh, well, you already yeah. are, aren't you? You're getting yeah. their attention yeah, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Just keep keep people talking. We're going to, you know, we'll, we'll raise a lot more money for Papyrus. Yeah. You know, we, we've got quite close to a million pounds, so this will tip, tip it over that. Uh, and we'll encourage people to come out and, and walk with yeah. us again. We, we're just in the process of getting our, we, we know what the route is, uh, but it, like the last walk, we'll get it, loaded up onto our website uh, which is three dads walking dot uk and there'll be a I'll page pop that on... in the episode notes as yeah. well so people can keep an eye on you yeah and there'll be a page on there that'll show you exactly where we're going and we'll carry it like last time we'll carry a tracker so people will be able to see exactly where we are in real time and last time what that did was just bring people out wasn't it, it just yeah folk were yeah. just intercepting us because they could see us coming down their street almost yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely, I'm going to definitely find you and, along there somewhere. And it's quite key. We, we, we intend to be in kind of Edinburgh on World Suicide Prevention Day on the... Oh, September. in September. Yeah. September. Yeah. So that'll be the... Oh, that's a, my brother lives there, so I'll tell him to oh, come meet yeah, you. Tell him down. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. And, then, and then if it goes according to plan, we should be in London on World uh, Mental Health uh, oh okay so September yes. yeah October yeah, October exactly yeah so that's yeah. the two kind of big bookends to it really oh, be a bit before but yeah so that that will kind of hopefully really put a, a highlight on both those two days across mm-hmm. the country that is absolutely amazing what an amazing thing to do for your girls and like just share, keep sharing their stories it's just so so incredible like I feel so proud of them for you like it's just amazing it's just and like I think that you're just well you're already doing such incredible things could you please start a petition as well maybe do some other stuff you know get the government to put this stuff in like I think you're gonna this is just the beginning for you three I think (laughs) yeah I've got high hopes for you (laughs) is there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap up if anybody's listening like you know or going through anything or you know reach out Talk. Absolutely. Talk. Reach out. Yeah, absolutely. That there are people there will listen to you. Obviously, there's Papyrus's um, hope line. It's just one, but yeah, absolutely. Try and talk. There is always hope. Things do change. Yeah. You know, and um, lives are precious. Yeah, and the devastation, the, the devastation that's left behind. You know, just hundreds of people by each death on average get affected by friends colleagues family obviously uh even just people who don't know you that well but live in the same community mm. it's, and it, the the pain that one person's that the, the pain just gets transferred onto so many other people yeah, so, a, yeah. and it ripples along for a long oh, long time huge, yeah a long long time long well, time so, I, so the, so the one thing that we have absolutely learned is communication is the key 
you know, even in the, the, the hardest of times and the depths of despair, um, the way that you will be saved is by asking for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we hope, what we're trying to do is encourage people to, or to, to allow people to know that there is help out there, you know, whether it is friends, family or organisations. Um, it's that step, help me. Um, because you don't have to be there suffering alone. No, no, that's exactly right. And and for someone that was that person, you know, um, like it was a very rock bottom moment that meant that I just took the step to get the help that I needed. Mm. And um, and if I hadn't done that, I don't, I don't, I don't know what would have happened or if I would have just be stuck still. But it's just that I know that it is totally possible, no matter what your story is or what you've exactly. suffered or you know how that you can come from. And someone like my dad was struggling with mental health we didn't know that then because it wasn't as well talked about as it is now but he could have got services and help and you know his life would have changed and and I think everything that we all think that we can't survive or that we can't overcome we we actually really can like we we are so powerful like that I mean you guys are showing that after the grief and the pain that your families have suffered that what you're doing with it like you are carrying on and you're like doing another massive walk. So, you know, so it's so incredible. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your stories and happy Father's Day to you all. I'll be thinking of you all. Um, It's always a hard day. I always miss my dad. I've got like a massive photo of him my whole way now. So yeah, I like to, this whole month on the podcast, I like to talk about him a lot. So I really appreciate you coming on this month and sharing. I know you're like celebrities now, so I really appreciate it on my little podcast. (laughs) And I'm just so proud I can't wait to meet you. I will definitely come find you when you're doing your walk for sure. Definitely. Thank you. And my family will as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. And there we have it, guys. An episode completed. I hope you enjoyed it and it raised a load of awareness in your mind. There was alarm bells going. You were all like, ding, that's totally me. Because that's what I was like when I started this journey. And that is the start of the process, finding out this information and realizing it has happened in your own life. So I really hope it was helpful. And before the next episode coming out next Wednesday, be sure to check us out on Instagram. So it's hearts underscore underscore happiness. Also, we have a YouTube channel where I share the videos I create for Instagram on. So you can check that out. They come on about once a week. And then we also have a Facebook group if you want to join to carry on the conversation. I want to create a community where we're all talking about our very real experiences and traumas. And then there is also my website called heartshappiness.co.uk, which you can check out to join our mailing list so that as I create new services and support tools for you all, you're the first to find out. And I have a freebie on there, so definitely check that out. It's five books that transformed my healing. So if you really want to kickstart and you know you're liking the content in here, these books are like the basis of so much of my knowledge. So definitely check that out. And I will speak to you next week. I'm so excited to continue this journey with you to help you to find your own heart's happiness. Take care.